You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 3800 Marlton Pike. For more information, visit us at circleofhope.church. Paradise, free of conflict, fear, and death, the naked couple, in love and unashamed, an apple, a snake, a terrible mistake, the birth story of sin and the moment of our collective separation from God. For so many Christians, the tale of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden carries with it far more significance than the average ancient Near Eastern Christian myth. Many of us learned this in Sunday school, that the third chapter of Genesis depicts the earth-shattering event called the fall, in which the first humans born into the world without sin or death succumb to the temptations of Satan, and with their one act of disobedience, with that bite into the first fruit, they unleash the forces of evil into the cosmos. This is the story that explains why we suffer, why we fight wars, why hurricanes and earthquakes ravage the earth, why we lie, why we can't agree on politics, why we get old, why we die. It explains the cruel things we say to one another and the brutal things we say to ourselves. It is the historical footnote that those harmful thoughts seem to sprout from. It is the reason why God feels so distant at times. It tells us who we are and why we are destined to do what we do. It marks us as unworthy, or so we think. Contrary to popular embellishment, the Bible never describes the garden or creation as perfect a concept borrowed from Plato, uh, rather describes the earth and everything in it as good, very good and blessed. Nowhere does the text claim that before man and woman ate the forbidden fruit, death was not part of the natural cycle of growth and decay, necessary to make gardens green. Nor does it say that the couple were promised immortality. Even the crafty serpent is never explicitly identified as Satan. Perhaps more significantly, nothing in the first three chapters of Genesis, or in the Hebrew scriptures for that matter, suggests that the choice made by Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden permanently and negatively altered their nature, forever damaging the image of God within them and transmitting that damage like a congenital disease to every person on earth. In fact, the word sin is nowhere to be found. The story supposedly defines our relationship with God and fails to even give a separate reference to the entirety of the Old Testament. It is never addressed directly by Jesus, and it happens nowhere in the historic creeds in the Christian faith. God calls us good and beloved before anything else. Danielle Schroyer, in her book Original Blessing, uh, Schroer's reading of the creation story offers a much-needed lifeline to those who are drowning in the certainty of our unworthiness. Sin is not the heart of nature, blessing is. And that did not stop being true because Adam and Eve ate the fruit in the garden. In fact, it never stopped being true. Notice that when God places the first humans in the garden, God situates them beneath the shade of a sprawling tree the tree of life, an image that evokes interconnectedness of all living things. 
God's involvement in the life of the garden and inhabitants in its immediate, almost human-like. The text reports that God strolled through the grounds at the time of the evening breeze. And like children exploring the safe and loving home, Adam and Eve enjoyed their connection to creation, to God and to each other, free of worry and shame. Perhaps the failure of Adam and Eve wasn't their desire to know right from wrong, good from evil, but rather their attempt to gain knowledge through a convenient shortcut, apart from God. In a sense, they tried to grow up too fast, to shake away the hand of their loving parent before they were ready to run around on their own. Read in its historical, literary, and religious context, Perhaps the story of Adam and Eve isn't about a single moment, like the great fall, but rather about many moments in which human beings face a choice between independence and interdependence. It serves as a warning, originally to Israel, but also to all of us. Autonomy is overrated. Trying to go it alone, without the wisdom of our creator, leads to shame, exile, desecration, and death. You don't have to be an ancient Israelite to recognize the truth of this, to see how knowledge gained and deployed without the wisdom of God can lead to death. With scientific knowledge, humans have created both life-saving vaccines and body-obliterating atomic bombs. With what we know about human psychology, we have healed each other's wounds, and exploited one another's weaknesses. With advancements in technology, we have been able to wish our great aunt a happy birthday from thousands of miles away and to say horrible things over Twitter. Even our knowledge of scripture has been used to advance righteous and noble causes as well as justify all sorts of violence, oppression, and exclusion. The tree of knowledge must always grow next to the tree of life, their roots intertwined, lest in our striving for comprehension we forget to honor the sacredness of our connection. Dutch-Brazilian theologian Carlos Mesters wrote that to become aware of evil is is a shattering experience, and indeed, immediately after rejecting God's direction and eating the fruit, Adam and Eve sense something is wrong. The eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, the story says. But rather than turning away from the pair as they scrambled to find fig leaves to cover their bodies, God moves toward them in their vulnerability. God seeks them out. At no point does the ground tremble as the gulf opens between God and humans. Even when God banishes the pair from the Garden of Eden as part of the series of curses directed by the snake, the woman and man, uh, point, the point seems to be that they are protected and the, world, uh, and the world from their consequences of their decision. The stories we tell ourselves matter. It is the primary story we tell ourselves that ever since the garden, our sin nature makes us incapable of doing good and unworthy of love and belonging. Then we will live like people who are incapable of doing good and unworthy of love and belonging. If, on the other hand, the primary story we tell ourselves 
is that we are God's good and beloved creation, made in the image of the divine and worthy of love, no matter our sins and failures, then we will live into that reality and seek it out in another. Beloved, let us love one another, John wrote, because love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God, whether or not love does not... Whoever does not know love does not know God, for God is love. God is love. Whatever wrath God feels about injustice or our complicity in it, whatever anger God directs at the human capacity for evil flows out of love. God gets angry at sin because it hurts people and the creation of God. God rages against child abuse, racism, white supremacy, homophobia, and biphobia, and transphobia, ableism, and ageism, misogyny, exploitation, cruelty, and consumerism. Because these sins denigrate the dignity of those whom God made and dishonor the beauty of the world that God has made. Because these sins defy God's love, because sins go against God, who is love, who is in all things through love, created everything that we see, including you and me. As as a kid, sin was always something that I struggled with. Um, I remember the first, uh, first big sin that I committed was I got a pop quiz during social studies and I uttered crap under my breath. And I was like, oh no, this is it. <laughs> and uh, I've always wrestled with these, these sins, these things that tear me away from God. And this week was a very busy and terrible week. And we had planned our worship service. And I thought to myself yesterday, oh crap, I can't write a speech. I have no time and I don't know what I'm doing and I can't think about this, and I can't think about sin, and it's too complicated, and I should probably see my therapist before I write a speech about sin. And so I tried to find balance, and I tried to figure out how to set proper boundaries, and how do I ask my my colleagues, uh, how do I ask my friends for help? How do I do this? I don't know what I'm doing, and I'm starting to panic, and I'm feeling like this is sin that same place of missing the mark, not being good enough, separating from God, not bringing what I should have brought to my community, which is a good speech, well-researched, and with a nice little bibliography to go with it. I had none of those things, and I felt like I was doing a disservice to my community. And I was panicked and drinking coffee late at night trying to write something, and I couldn't do it. And so I went into my office, and I looked at my bookshelf, and I found... Uh, this book by Rachel Held Evans that I impulse bought after re- watching a pot, listening to a podcast. And I opened it up, and the first chapter I see, see, I see sin in the writing. And I'm like, oh my God, or, there it is. And so I started reading it, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is, this is it. This is the talk. And I looked at Vlad, and I said, can I, can I just read to them? <laughs> can I just read to them from the book? And he's like, don't tell them that you're reading, because then they'll zone out. So just start. <laughs> And so I said, okay, I'll do it. And so I just read to you most of the chapter uh, in this book, starting on page 79, if you want to borrow my book. Um, 
because everything she said was speaking to me, and I was like, I'm not going to sit here and try to reword everything she said so that it's mine. This is Rachel's words. She put this out there, and I thought it was beautiful and something for me to think about, and I hope that it's something for you to think about. And in that moment where I realized I took on too much, I couldn't handle it, I made the wrong decision deciding I would speak this week, God's mercy showed up by helping me pick the right book, just because it's a pretty color in my bookshelf, opening to the right page, and there was the passage that related to the Revised Common Lectionary for this week. And I thought, wow, God's mercy showed up again in a strange and new way. And as we are reflecting as a community about how we show up here together, I hope that this, I hope that my my failure here uh, is an example to show up as you can with whatever you have. That when you look at the sign-up sheet that we have and ways to engage, that you don't think that you have to bring something perfect, well-researched, seminary-educated, you know, musically gifted. Though you all have so many amazing talents, even if you don't feel like you have all of the stuff, you can just show up with what you have and God's mercy will show up as well. Um, And so as I'm reflecting on these areas of sin and struggle in my life, I hope that you will feel God's mercy. You will feel God's arms around you and saying that it is okay to come as you are because God will show up, the Spirit will show up in the midst of it. And so that's, that is what I have for you. And I hope that as we talk back and share that you will bring the rest of the speech together. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected, visit circleofhope.church. You can also find us on Instagram or Facebook at circleofhopenet.com.